Hello, friends. Welcome to the very first episode of the All Sorts Podcast. I am your host, Desiree Nielsen, registered dietitian and author, here to help you navigate nutrition and wellness in a way that's truly nourishing, positive, and free of fear-mongering and pseudoscience. My goal with the podcast is to make nutrition, well, not suck. Our wellness efforts are supposed to make us actually well. So here on the podcast, we'll be talking to guests who are the very best at what they do, whether it is creating beautiful plant-based meals, helping others find healing in food or their bodies, or scientists helping to dispel myth and understand what our bodies truly need to thrive. I am delighted to share with you my very first guest, Amelia Freer. Amelia is one of the UK's most respected nutritional therapists and healthy eating experts. She has headed a thriving private clinic in London for over a decade and has helped thousands to achieve a happier, healthier life. She is an international best-selling author, debuting with the inspirational Eat, Nourish, Glow, now translated into many languages. Amelia's fourth book, Simply Good For You, was released in December 2019, and her 30-part online course, The Joy of Healthy Eating, was launched in autumn 2020. I have known Amelia's work for a long time and was immediately drawn to her gentle, positive approach to nutrition. She has a rare talent for inspiring others to care for themselves in a way that is very grounded and gentle, yet effective. In this episode, we talk about everything from Amelia's own health journey, the concept of positive nutrition, and why it's a more effective tool than typical restrictive diets. The one piece that many of us are missing in our healthy toolkit, and how Amelia's own approach to nutrition and cooking has evolved since her first book. I just adore Amelia, and I am sure after listening to this conversation, you will too. So let's dive into the very first episode of the All Sorts Podcast. So I am so thrilled to have you join us. I, you know, you know, but for everyone listening, I have been following your work for so long. And I remember, you know, reading one of your books for the first time and just, you know, you said this to me just before, but I read your words and I was like, yes. Exactly. That's exactly what I think. And she's saying it in a way that I had never thought of. So that, you know, I had that resonance with you. So I'm so excited to share your amazing work with everyone. Oh, and thank you. I am. Um, I so feel much. like many people come to nutrition, you know, after having experienced its transformative effect for themselves. Like, was, yeah. was that a factor for you? How did food factor into your journey? Oh, I mean, an enormously, because um, I, I had absolutely no connection with food at all in my younger years. I mean, my mum was a really good home cook. She liked to entertain. She always displayed, you know, took real pride in her cooking and sort of displayed it beautifully. And so, the, you know, there was there was lots of nice um, habits and experiences around food. But um, I don't remember being particularly interested in food and I would have quite happily just eaten, I don't know if you have it over there, Marmite. We have Marmite. Yes. Yeah, so Marmite on toast. Like I basically lived on that and sweet cups of tea as a child and a teenager. Well, not lived because obviously my mother did feed me, but I definitely wasn't very connected with food. And we lived in the countryside in a, 
in a really sort of remote place. So I didn't have access to sweets or junk food. And so I remember when I, when I kind of grew up and left home and I moved to London and I just gorged on processed food. It was, it was so exciting to me and I thought it was really sophisticated. So going to, you know, getting a croissant for breakfast or not that I'm saying that's junk food, but you know, I just, I had no idea about how to nourish myself and I didn't even, I didn't think about it, but I had so much wrong with me. I mean, I think the longest and biggest thing that impacted me was I had terrible acne for throughout my teenage years and still into my twenties. And obviously, you know, that affects one's confidence, but it never occurred to me to look at what I was eating ever. Um, and I had bloating and, you know, lots of digestive issues and I was always exhausted. And although I was this like young girl in the big lights in the bright city, I just felt rubbish all the time. Um, and I had a flatmate who was really into uh, health and nutrition because her brother had had lots of health issues. So she was a, a bit more evolved in this. And I remember her just saying, oh, you might want to take a look at what you're eating. And um, I was quite shocked and a little bit offended because I thought that I had a perfectly good diet. But uh, on chatting with her more and looking at it uh, and then subsequently going to see a nutritional therapist, I realized that my diet was entirely beige and lacking in anything fresh and nutritious. And it was such a wonderful moment for me. I remember just um, just everything sort of falling into place and having this real spark ignite when I went home and started to make these small changes and everything that she gave me, I'll never forget it. It was very simple. It was very positive. Um, and yeah, I mean, I started to see and feel the impact quite rapidly. And from then on, I was just hooked and I wanted to learn it for myself. And um, yeah, so so I've really had to learn the hard way and I've learned from scratch and I had to teach myself how to cook because I really didn't have any interest in cooking. Um, so it's it's been a very genuine and and really lovely um, lovely experience for me. Well, and even just watching you say that, you know, because people aren't going to see you, uh, you lit up. You know, just even recalling <laughs> like that transformation. And I love, I love that food has the power to do that for people. Yes. yes. You know when when it is applied in in sort of this really sort of like light and you know exploratory and positive way you, you yeah. see that spark like open yeah. in people which is incredible and um you know so the first book I read of yours was Eat Nourish Glow and I thought it was such a breath of fresh air because so many of the books um at that time were just very strict and very stringent and very diety and you've written four books since then and you've really refined this concept of what you call positive nutrition. Can you share sure. what that means to you? Sure. Well, I think, you know, when I, when I first ex had my journey that I've just explained, you know, nutrition was really new and people didn't know what to eat. And I didn't know what I now know. I think it's changed a lot now. I think people are, are much more savvy and they are much more aware. So it's, it's potentially harder. I'm sure we'll come on to that um, later. But I think, you know, after my first book, which was wanting to share basically my training, what I did one-on-one -on -one with clients and sort of try and make it a helpful manual to open people's, uh, you know, thought process around uh, eating. But uh, but since then, we've noticed that um, the, the sort of nutrition world has become very 
focused on what to give up. And so whenever people think about embarking on a healthy way of eating, they straight away think, oh, sorry about my emails pinging. I don't know how to stop it. Um, uh, uh, People straight away think about, okay, I'm going to be really good for two weeks and I'm going to give up everything that I love. And it's always straight away focused on giving up and removing. And I realized that that is so negative because people are never going to be able to last with that. And I'm, and I myself as a foodie, you know, I love, I love all things. And um, the minute that I embark on something as a period of restriction, it just doesn't last for me because I feel deprived and it makes the the sort of rebel in me want to challenge that and, um, you know, you know, go the other way. And I think people are very like that food is, as you know, such an, a deeply rooted emotional uh, subject for so many of us. So with my nutritional knowledge, I, I thought it's so important that we actually educate people on what we need because we all, you know, there are obviously nuances for each and every individual, but we do all need to eat every single day and we do all need macro and micronutrients every single day in order, you know, not just to, to give us energy, but in order to help our tissues repair and to help our, you know, biological functions um it's it's so important and i think so long people have just looked at food as as energy and calories and something that's going to make you fat so uh positive nutrition really sort of evolved from there i wanted to put healthy eating into a really positive joyful gentle kind and something that kind like something that we can really embrace instead of feeling like it's something you have to white knuckle and um you know force yourself through And I think that's so important too, because what I've noticed is when we have this sort of like restrictive Mm -hmm. elimination type mindset, it also diminishes our joy of eating the foods that nourish us. And let's talk about that a little bit, because you actually wrote a really lovely piece on your blog about joy and how it was a missing piece of the health puzzle. Like, Mm -hmm. can you share what you wrote? Oh, gosh, yeah. Well, I can't remember when I wrote that. It was probably quite a while ago. But again, I think it goes back to just years of working with clients and watching people's reaction and, you know, reading stuff, uh, seeing seeing how everyone embarks, you know, feels about healthy eating or, or embarks on a healthy eating journey. And and if if you're sad, if you sit down to a meal and you're sad and you don't, and, it, and you're forcing yourself to eat or drink. Like I did go through a long period where I forced myself to drink green smoothies because I believed that it was healthy for me. But I hate green smoothies. I really don't like them. And it was so liberating when I got to that place where I thought, it's okay. I don't have to eat things just because with my nutritional knowledge, I know that they're good for me. If people enjoy them, wonderful. I'll give you so many different recipes to help you enjoy them. But I worked out that I just didn't enjoy them. And there are some foods that I just don't enjoy. And it's, it, it is, as I said in that article, it's such a, a missing piece of, of the healthy puzzle. And I think too many people just, just embark on, on, you know, forcing themselves. Or like I said before, just white knuckling it instead of actually understanding that we, we, we are allowed to enjoy our food. It is vitally important for our social and emotional health and, sitting down with loved ones, you know, and also just understanding from a health perspective, if you're not eating with pleasure, then that's going to be perceived to the body as some kind of stress. You know, our body doesn't know what we're not eating. It only knows the information that we give it. So our body's just got no concept of what we're removing. It just feels the stress and maybe the disappointment. Um, so yeah, I think joy is is a huge 
thing that perhaps, you know, and I, and I certainly in my early days, I did not focus on joy. And I did think about restriction because that's kind of what I was taught. I was like, right, let's clean up your diet and take away all the bad stuff. But actually, and now with people, I just say, you know, what are you missing? What's lacking in your diet? Let's let's start with there. Because most people know that there are things that they can be adding. Well, most people maybe don't know it, but I know, you know, that there are things that we can add to people's diet to really enhance them. I don't know if I answered your question, but. You absolutely (laughs) did. And I think, but I think what you said is so vital. The idea that we absolutely do have to enjoy what we're eating, because I think people have lost that sense that, Mm -hmm. that health is somehow deprivation and restriction and that, that it's not this sort of very joyful, very robust, very expansive place because we're listening to all of these voices saying that this is bad, this is wrong. And I mean, all of those voices are completely incorrect, (laughs) but they cause so much fear in us. And that fear also is not going to nourish us and bring us to a healthier place. Absolutely. absolutely. And I see that time and time again, working with clients, I'm sure that you do, is people arrive at, you know, to me and they just say, I just don't know what to eat anymore. I've done the Atkins diet. I've done the 2-1 diet, the fasting diet. I've done this, this, you know, they, they reel off every diet. And because they've, they've got so many, this web of rules in their mind that they exactly, as you say, they've just lost any connection between like, it's okay to enjoy a banana or watermelon or a piece of toast or whatever. I mean, obviously, as I said earlier, it's it's so nuanced for people. So there are going to be people who have specific health conditions and health issues, and they may have to embark on a restrictive diet for a certain period of time. But I would just always encourage that someone does that under the guidance and with the caring support of a qualified nutrition professional rather than doing it because you read it in a magazine or because a celebrity is doing it or or something. Do you think that people in general underestimate or overestimate the role that food plays in their overall well-being? I think, I think, uh, I think people underestimate it. I, well, I think that people, um, want to get healthy and want to embrace healthy eating, I think that there's still that sort of misconnection between the role that it plays. Because even when I work, it doesn't matter who I work with, I can still see that there's still it's still kind of bottom of their list of priorities most of the time. And, you know, this life is busy. And so I don't say that with any judgment, but I can still see that that a lot of people will skip meals, grab meals, not really think it through, not care enough. And so I think that it that it's still, you know, grossly underestimated. You know, I see that too, because I, I find that, you know, with our clients so often, and we work with a lot of people who are, are often really unwell, mm-hmm. we are the last person they are seeing. They have been to multiple specialists. They have been to naturopaths and chiropractic and homeopaths and everyone. And they don't come to see us until the very, very end. And I think part of that is that, you know, when when you see a nutritionist or a dietitian, you know that you're going to be asked to change. Like that's sort of part and parcel. Whereas with other practitioners, perhaps you might, you might receive treatments, you might receive, you know, supplements or medications, but there's less change involved. But I do think it also comes down to that. Like, what is my, what is my risk and reward? Like how much am I being asked to change and how much is it really going to help? And when you see that shift for people that like, 
you, you see that spark in them. They're like, I had no idea how yeah. wonderful I could feel. It's like, yes. <laughs> You're so spot on. And that was exactly my experience too. You're right. I went to every different kind of practitioner. I took Roaccutane drugs for my skin. I, you know, I, I did everything and nutrition was the, the very end. And you're right. I see that with, with my clients. And I think it's, it is that fear factor, isn't it? People are so afraid of making change to something that is so important and so emotional and such a, a, um, a comfort, a source of comfort to so many of us, even though we might not be that connected with how we're using it. Um, so it, 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 it is brave, I think, to embark on, to, to see a nutrition professional and, and know that you're going to make your changes, but you're right, the joy the joy it's worth it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and also seeking a professional and really doing the legwork to know that you're coming in to meet with someone and you're going to be under someone's care who isn't simply going to tell you that everything is quote unquote bad like to seek a professional that has a positive approach that has that will give you more support than mm -hmm. than others who are just going to say take out everything and mm -hmm. you know who cares about how you feel about food or eat the green smoothie even if you don't yeah. like it because that's the only yes. thing that's good for you and that makes me so cross that really makes me so cross because it because you know that it's not going to create a positive long term lifestyle change mm -hmm. um, and I and I have seen yeah, so many people who've had those kind of experiences because they've just been given a list of everything to give up. And it's like, off you go. You do the work. Not my problem. <laughs> yeah. If, if you're seeing someone, and so not someone with like a specific health concern, but, you know, if you're sort of going down that positive nutrition journey with someone, what are some of the additions that you find most supportive to people when they're getting started? Well, yeah, I mean, it's so different for everyone, isn't it? So, I mean, I think that's the bit that I enjoy the most about working with people is getting to know, getting to hear their story. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's so different for everyone and hearing someone's story and hearing, um, hearing about their lifestyle and what they do have time for, you know, what their cooking skills are, what their knowledge is, what their shopping habits are, all of that influences the kind of three top things that I'll give them to take away because I like to go very gently. I always think when I work with someone, what, what things, what three things can I give you to do that will make the, the biggest impact to your health within the next four weeks? Because I want them to leave. I want them to feel that they can do it. I want them to do it, feel it, and then come back and then you can kind of take them to the next level. So it is so different for everyone, but I think probably I most consistently encourage people to eat more vegetables because I never really see people that are that you know can't do with adding a few more. I think I consistently see a lack of protein, um, where, whatever protein source that is. I just see that people's diets tend to be um, quite low in that, and then um, probably water. They're probably the, the three most obvious things, but I do really sometimes in the first consult it's much more about lifestyle. Like if someone's not sleeping, if someone's in you know, not in the right frame of mind, I'm not going to give them much, much to do, you know, to look at. So, um, it, it really does depend. Yeah. And I love that you said that because I, I think my clients get frustrated with me because I always tell them, you know, I wish that I could say that nutrition would be a hundred percent of this. Like I'm a dietitian. I wish I could say yeah. you get the nutrition right. And a hundred percent of it is going to go away, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's not, if someone isn't sleeping, if, yeah. if someone is so deeply stressed, especially I, I do so much work with gut health, mm -hmm. 
you know, gut health can be 75% stress for any given person. And, and I think that's hard for someone to hear, um, but also so critical because I feel like we are so willing to exert so much effort, so much energy, so much money to try and recover from these really foundational things that don't require any money and require us to actually do less and spend less. Yes. 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 I mean, I've seen that a lot with clients as well when, um, they come and, and I think they do just want a long list of things to give up. They're like, I'm ready, give it to me. And, and then they get frustrated that I'm like, you need to focus on your sleep because until you sleep, we're not going to be able to make, uh, you know, the kind of changes that I believe is necessary. And, and, you can see that sometimes that frustrates people, but um, I, I just can't work with food alone, and I don't, I, and I haven't for a long time. And so I, I, I make that quite clear to people before they come to me that this is kind of a, you know, we're going to look at your lifestyle in general. And um, I think in the beginning of my third book, um, Nourish and Glow: The Ten Day Plan, or I think it's called in Canada, it's called the Ten Day Plan to Nourish and Glow. Um, there's there's a little chart where it shows that nutrition is just only one small part of this very important circle of health, and and there are so many other aspects that we need to to give give equal attention to. But sometimes, in that case, food people sort of think that food's the easier one than managing their stress, which is a tough one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, meditation. We talk a lot about meditation yeah. in my consultations. <laughs> And I love that book I because I have that one as well. And um, so often um, books are marketed in like a time frame. So like 10 days, 14 days, 21 days. And I love that in this book, you kept saying, this is about like, this is about forever. I'm not using your words, but like, this is yeah. about long-term. This is just, you know, sort of like motivation to start, but we need to change forever. And I think that's so important because we do sort of have this idea that, you know, in two weeks, you can just mm-hmm. like, quote unquote, clean up everything. And then you go back to doing exactly what you're doing and you'll be fine. Yeah. And I think I say more and more to people, I would rather that you did less, but that you just did two things that you could actually imagine doing. I always say like when they, when they decide, okay, I'm going to give up this or I'm going to take up this. I'm like, can you imagine doing that in a year's time? Because if you can't imagine doing that in a year's time, it's too much to suggest that you do it now because you might be able to white knuckle it for two weeks, but I'm interested in the things that you can do for life. Because those small, you know, 1% changes have a huge impact over the course of our lifetime versus what we do intensely, you know, brilliantly for two weeks. That's not going to transform our health. So I think I sort of um, have gone full circle with with my training and since the early days and perhaps since Eat Nourish Glow even in that um, I, I just give people less to do because I want to find what they can do, you know, long term and, and also that's going to be joyful um, depending on, on their health and, and yeah. their goals. Of course. And, you know, it's interesting just talking about coming full circle because I feel like the past year has really, with everyone staying at home and lockdown, like it's really, I've seen some interesting transformations in people's relationship with food, whether it was, you know, losing that ability to dine together to some people finally having time to cook because their life slowed down or even just recognizing like the deep comfort that they find in food. And 
even in like media, I feel like there's so many people who used to incorrectly promote food restriction and they were all of a sudden baking sourdough bread. Like, you know, like I'm wondering if you've seen this too. And, you know, like what positive lessons do you hope will persist? Like once we sort of reemerge from our stay at home lives. Yeah. Oh, I so hope that people take from the last year that cooking from scratch isn't a chore and that it's actually can be something really joyful and nurturing. And I hope that they continue to sit down and eat meals with loved ones if they're lucky enough to have loved ones close by or or with them or in their lives. Um, Because I think that slowing down pace and, and having meals and that quality time together is something that I didn't see happening very much before. And I just, I really hope that that stays. I think that that's, those three things are just so healthy. Um, and yeah, I think I, I've seen a lot of people gain kitchen confidence because as you say, they suddenly had the time and, and they kind of were like, okay, I'm going to give this a go. Everyone else is doing sourdough or making banana bread. I can do it too. So yeah, I hope, I hope that connection stays. And to realize that it can be so simple too. I mean, you said it yourself, you had to teach yourself to cook and now you are a published cookbook author multiple <laughs> times over. <laughs> I believe can, it. <laughs> it can be done, right? And I, you created, so last year you created this amazing course called The Joy of Healthy Eating and it looks incredible. I was blown away because there's actually 300 minutes of videos. Like they're like, like bite-sized videos, but there's 300 minutes of video in the course. Um, Can you walk us through what people can expect? Because I feel like this course is such a beautiful way if people are dipping their toe in, if they don't have access to a professional, they can see in person. Like this could be a really beautiful way to sort of wade into like a new path for people. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so pleased you like, you like the sound of it. Um, It was a huge passion project. It took a year to sort of create and get all of the filming done in lockdown. Hence I had very bad lockdown hair, Um, but um, it was, uh, yeah, I think I wanted to merge what I love about the the way that the people who produced it, they're called create Academy. So it's a bit like, I think in, in the U S there's masterclass who does a similar sort of thing. And so this is our UK version. What I love is that it's bite-sized videos. So you, the idea is that you can just dip in and out as and when you want. There's no schedule. You don't have to be online at a certain time, which completely stresses me out. I can't do webinars and that sort of thing. I need to be able to watch it when it's the right time for me. And so this course, once people download it, once they buy it, it's theirs for life. And they can just watch the classes that appeal to them or that they that resonate with them and um, skip the ones that maybe don't. And I wanted to have a mixture of the practical and the theory so there is a lot of me talking quite heavily about the the complexities of nutrition and the, you know all of the noise, the confusion, and what I've learned in my years of working with clients um, seems to sort of trip people up. So there's a lot of that discussion, and obviously I'm not one on one in a room with someone, so it has to be quite broad because I've learned the hard way, and I, I know we've talked about this in the past. I've learned the hard way that you have to be very careful with the words that you use when sharing to a wider audience because you don't know what each individual, how, how they're going to take it and what their experience is with food. So it is it is quite general, but it's the point is, is it's meant to be, you know, food for thought, excuse, excuse the pun, to help people start to think about it and maybe look at their relationship to food differently or look at why they've been yo-yo dieting for years or 
why they exclude or restrict or, or whatever that whatever the issues can be there's multiple um and then there's a lot of the practical stuff because I've also learned from working with clients I think this is my biggest learning post my four-year studies was it's one thing having all of this knowledge but once you work one-on-one with a client and you realize that they just don't know how to chop or they don't know they don't have good enough kitchen equipment or they just haven't ever really done they, they're not adventurous enough with their shopping or they don't really know how to look for products or read ingredient labels so that was the biggest learning curve for me I think once I started working with people was just how much practical stuff we need to share with them so a lot of the classes in the course are the really practical things I'm quite a visual learner so I like to show people this is what this grain is and this is what you do with it and so there's a bit of cooking there's some chopping lessons there's the sort of basics to help you cook from scratch and lots of my tips and tricks to make it quick and easy because of course we're all busy and short of time and um and you know we need to make this realistic in order to make it achievable and um that's something that I continue to do on my journey. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so important too, because especially if if this is your work, you know, if you develop recipes for a living, people might think that we spend hours cooking dinner on a Tuesday night and that simply isn't the case. <laughs> You're so right. It's a good point. And actually, I think my second book was uh, the cookbook to follow up from Eat Nourish Glow because I didn't really do any recipes in Eat Nourish Glow because I didn't have a clue how to write a recipe at that stage. Um, Cook Nourish Glow was the recipes. And I remember at the time I was trapped because new, you know, healthy eating was quite new and it was becoming quite trendy. So I remember feeling this pressure to be original and be different and be quite cool with cooking and introduce, you know, that some of the new health brands that were coming um, onto the shelves and, um, you know, hence, I mean, I, I still love that cookbook, of course, but I, I overcomplicated it. And, um, you know, as we all evolve, uh, I think that my way of cooking, especially since becoming a mother and hence my last cookbook, which is called Simply Good For You, um, it couldn't be more different to that to that first cookbook um, because it really is genuinely how I cook and eat, which is assembling five ingredients onto a plate, adding a little bit of flavor, and it takes, you know, it needs to take under 10 minutes, um, really, to, to be able to make it. And that's that's how I eat, how my family eat. And so it's a much more realistic, I suppose, and achievable book for, for those of us that don't have lots of time or confidence uh, when cooking. Those are the books that get used. And I, you know, I have all of these fancy chef cookbooks yeah. on my shelf for inspiration. And I love to look through them and they're beautiful, but they have like 27 ingredients and like four components to make a single meal. And yeah. they sit dusty on the shelves. Yeah. Whereas my my books that are that are about actually making dinner midweek, you know, like they're the ones with the splatters on them. They're the ones that are totally dirty and ruffled through. Yes. And like, that's what people need. Yeah. And I think it's a huge compliment, isn't it? If we see our books yeah. dirty, you know, crumpled, scrumpled, covered in splatters and with scribbles all over, that's, that's to me, is it means I've, I've done a good job. So, you know, knowing that uh, Simply Good For You is that kind of book, like, are there just like a few meals or recipes? Like, what are two or three recipes that you really recommend that like everyone sort of have in their back pocket for surviving a busy week? Like, what are those for you? It's so great that you mentioned that because I always say it's really good for people to 
No, just have a few recipes, as you say, yeah. off by heart that you don't have, that you kind of know you've got the ingredients always in the cupboard and you don't need to be looking at the book and kind of checking steps, etc. So I think for me, curries, you know, I remember the day that I learned what a curry base is, what the, what the spices were. And I was like, oh, now I can add chickpeas or I can add chicken or I can add fish or I can add vegetables. And wow. That, and, you know, um, so I think curries is probably one of my, you know, I just... I know how to make any type of curry. Um, soups, because that's such a great way to use up leftover vegetables. You can make them pretty quickly and pack in lots of goodness. Um, I make a lot of stews like lentil, dals, and, um, or dal is lentils, um, like um, lentil bolognese type thing. I love those kind of stews. So that's probably a regular for me. And I'll often just, you know, when I'm a bit lacking inspiration I'll just do a whole big tray of roasted vegetables and it's amazing how that can suddenly turn into an incredible meal it's so true I very much have the the um, motto in my kitchen it's like when in doubt just roast it especially (laughs) (laughs) I mean our climates are very similar where we live as well so when it's dark and drizzly half the year like just turn the oven on roast everything and the sad (laughs) carrots in the fridge somehow turn out like sweet and tender and they're perfect (laughs) I love it. That's great. I'm going to use that. That's so true. When in doubt, roast it. That is exactly what I do. So, you know, for people uh, listening to this, if they are feeling like they don't know where to get started, you know, they, they want to make change. They feel nervous about whether or not they can make change. I'm um, like, what advice would you give them? I would say do the opposite to what you think you need to do and going back to what I said earlier is is choose something that makes that feels exciting and a bit joyful to you and that you can imagine doing long term so invest that time in um in in kind of working out you know what why why it will be joyful or why you can why how you can make it a way of your life instead of just starting and thinking I'll figure the rest the rest out later which I think is what so many of us do myself included but um I think go 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 just keep it simple choose one or two things get those and you know change them so that they become really regular easy habits and then introduce a couple more things and do it slowly and surely because what you're doing over the course of the year over the course of your life has a much bigger impact on your health than what you do for, you know, a a short period of time. I love that. And you even said that in your first book, right? There was that one, it was just change one thing. And it takes so much trust for people to say this one thing will make a difference, but you know, exactly as you said. Sorry, I shouldn't talk over you. Um, Please. um, Everybody knows deep down, don't they? They all kind of have this thing like oh I know that I eat too much this or I drink too much wine or I I'm rubbish at preparing my meals and so I get home every night so I start the day with good intentions but by the end of the day I just order takeaway I think uh, you know I've heard, we've both heard the excuses so we kind of know everybody knows really but often you know if it's such an ingrained habit it's really scary and hard to change so look at what you can do around that to around that that specific habit and see if there are ways that you can slowly chip away at it to make it a bit easier. But I think it's so important to approach it from a place of positivity and joy rather than a, like I keep saying, white knuckling and something that you love that you have to give up because that's not going to last. And from people really being 
open and honest with themselves about who they are and what their life looks like. Because I feel like when we try and make change, we sort of envision, um, you know, probably what media and, you know, like influencer culture tells us is the healthy life. And so we think we have to live that life, even though it looks nothing like our life. Yeah. Yeah. It's like telling someone who has only ever relied on ready meals to sprout their lentils. It's just, it's just too extreme. So yeah, I think uh, it's, yeah, exactly. As you say, it's so important to just be honest and realistic, take a look at our own lifestyle and, and think what, what is it that we, that we really want? Because yeah, just because some celebrity does, it doesn't mean it's right for us. Exactly. <laughs> and they'll probably change, you know, they'll change their mind and four months later be doing something different anyway. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I want to shift a little bit to something that I know brings us both joy because I can't not talk about your garden because it looks like a virtual paradise. <laughs> it's also a far cry from my like uh, little front yard garden boxes. Like, was did you always love for anyone listening? I will be sure to share all the links, including Amelia's Instagram, where she shares some very beautiful images of her garden. Um, Like, were you always entranced by gardens? Like, what inspired this love? And like, how do you make this happen? Because it's beautiful. Well, oh, thank you. No, it's uh, honestly, it's a dream come true. Um, So as I said, I grew up in the countryside and obviously hated it at the time, resented it and just wanted the bright lights in the big city. But I think, as we all know in life, we, we do... Uh, you know, evolve. And I think in my sort of, uh, as I've matured, I've found myself craving the countryside and craving nature. And I suppose it's it's evolved naturally, you know, from learning about the science of food and then getting into the practicalities of food and then learning how to use food and then learning how to shop food and then questioning where does food come from and how's it grown and, you know, thinking about this, the many, many steps or, or journeys that the food takes before it gets to your plate. So it's been a natural involvement. And um, I think that uh, they kind of came together at the same time that I knew that I wanted to live in the countryside and I knew that I wanted to start to learn to grow vegetables. And it was just at that time that I met my now partner, Nick, and um, he had just bought this um, this property in the countryside that he um, was deciding it was going to be his big project and he was going to renovate it. And it came with that walled kitchen garden that had been there for uh, almost 30 years, um, but ha- hadn't really been used as in feeding a family. Um, so I, I didn't really get the opportunity, you know, I didn't sort of design it or anything like that. But um, it's just been a, a case over the years of, of slowly learning. And, and my sister-in-law is a wonderful gardener and teaches edible gardening courses. So I've learned so much from her and the kitchen garden came with a gardener who knew what he was doing. So I cannot take the credit um, for that wonderful garden or you know how it all turns around because it's a huge space and there's no way I could manage that with my job and being a mum and everything. So I, I wouldn't want to pretend that I do it all myself, but it's an absolute, it's the place that I run to whenever I get a chance. And it's, um, it it really is my, my happy place. And I'm now like even evolving into, I've played around a lot growing unusual vegetables and and I've sort of worked out what we actually eat as a family because I can't bear waste. So I've I've sort of become more practical. Um, And now I'm evolving into growing flowers as well, because that's, that was my lockdown joy. I did lots of floristry courses and um, now I'm just passionate about flowers. So 
<laughs> the garden is, is turning into um, a lovely space for flowers as well. But, but yeah, it's, it's I'm, I'm, I'm very, very lucky. I never expected, I didn't, um, I have to say that when we moved into our home and was the first time we had outdoor space, I had always associated garden with like my grandparents, right? Like it was just like, it was like yeah. a pursuit for when you're older and I could not, like the first time I got in there with the weeds, like it was just so satisfying. Yes. Like it was, yeah. it cleared my head the way sometimes meditation doesn't, like it just felt yes so incredible so I yeah I was hooked I'm a terrible gardener but and I do get a little bit <laughs> I do get a little bit of help because of that because you know sometimes like I have no idea why those didn't grow they just they didn't come up they didn't grow. The, I think that's the thing with gardening is people often beat themselves up but sometimes things just don't work and that's just you, you have to be so um I suppose graceful about nature and understanding mm -hmm. that it has its reasons and you know I remember one year I planted all of these vegetables they didn't grow and then the next year they did and um you know it's it's I think I, I think now I did I like you I got very stressed about it in the beginning and I thought oh my god I'm rubbish at this I just can't do it and oh um and I was quite frustrated and then I flipped into like this has to be a place of joy because it brings me so much joy and it is as you say, I mean, we know we know the research that shows spending time in nature and having your hands in the soil and I find it so therapeutic um to to be in there and to learn how to grow things so I don't think anyone is a bad gardener it just takes time and you just keep learning and a friend of mine said the other day she said oh I must be getting old now because I'm starting to become interested in growing tomatoes and I was like hey what does that say about me but maybe I'm an old soul but I think when you know about nutrition like we do um it's it's an obvious step to want to have a bit more control and, and watch it grow and know where the seed came from. And, and, yeah, I, I mean, for me, it really introduced me to seasonal eating in a way that I just hadn't embraced before when shopping in normal supermarkets. So that's, that's what's been incredible. And that now I'll never eat a food. Well, not never, but rarely eat a food when it's not in season, because I know if it's not growing in my garden, it's not in season. Yeah. I love that. And even just seeing my kids like drop down to the garden and pick up, you know, greens like kale like, yeah. that I will often get complaints about when I put on the dinner table they'll walk into the garden and just rip a leaf off and munch it raw yeah. straight out of the garden which is like the best feeling <laughs> well I've been yeah. having tricky times with my daughter who's only three and she um won't she doesn't really like like salad or herbs or anything leafy so we started growing some microgreens together and because she grew them and because they're small and quite pretty and you know I went for the purpley pink ones now she'll have microgreens on everything. She's like, give me my micros, give me my micros. So I feel like that there's always a way around it. And that's like her introduction to eating something that's green and leafy. And I just hope that that grows. But it is it is lovely watching her learn about where, you know, about how the vegetables are growing. And she knows where the vegetables are. And she goes, let's go and check on the asparagus. And it's, um, yeah, it, 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 is, it, is, uh, it is dreamy. But I do think, I do understand why, people do do it when they're older because it takes so much more time than I ever appreciated. And I do sometimes have moments where I'm like, oh, I'm just going to give this up until I retire or I have to give up my job because I can't, you know, do all of the things that, that I want to do and keep on top of it all. So it, it does require a lot of time. Yeah, <clears throat> it does. I like to take very time consuming hobbies and then ignore them entirely. So that's my, <laughs> that's my midlife MO. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> so I love to close every episode with five rapid fire questions. Okay. Um, very simple, very like softball type things. Um, so first question is, what is your favorite place to escape to? Uh, my garden or nature. I just need to be in the countryside and surrounded by space and trees where I can see the sky and a view. Mm-hmm. Uh, novel or nonfiction? Nonfiction. I'm such a novel person and I love, I feel like novel people are in decline. (laughs) You know, I think you're right. I used, I probably used to read novels, but I just, I think since studying nutrition, I I just didn't, I stopped reading anything that wasn't nutrition related for so long. And then becoming a mother, I've gone into like motherhood. And so I think um, I kind of miss novels. So maybe, maybe I'll, maybe, and I mean, when I go on holiday, I'll read a novel, but that's so rare. (laughs) Um, okay. So three spices or condiments you think people should start their kitchen with? Um, extra virgin olive oil. Is that, that's a condiment, isn't that? Sure. Yeah. Um, mm, a good oil. Uh, I mean, I have to go with like chili flakes cause I love chili flakes. <laughs> I add chili flakes to so many things. Um, and then maybe, Oh, it's so hard to just choose three. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Maybe for someone who's just starting, I would say um, like mixed dried herbs because you can do a lot with mixed dried herbs, like the sort of Italian mix. Okay. Um, Your favorite sort of meal or snack or beverage when you are looking for something like a treat? Oh, I'm a, I'm so British. I just love my cup of tea in the morning. I have Clipper Organic. I have it black these days. Um, and I just, I can't function in the morning without my cup of tea. I, it's the first thing I think about when I wake up. And so it's it's a treat. It's nurturing. It's, it's, it's a habit. It's comfort. Um, I mean, I have given it up, but I really don't want to. <laughs> I really wouldn't want to. <laughs> So I guess that. Otherwise, I'm a wine girl. I mean, I, it doesn't agree with me at all. Um, but I do love a glass of wine in the evenings at the end of the day or the weekend. Um, and then I'm definitely a salt. I, I would never, I'm just not a sweet tooth person. So chocolate, sweets, puddings, that sort of stuff doesn't excite me at all. So if it was a treat, did you say treat? Yeah, just something yeah. you want to give yourself a little something. It would be something salty. Something savory, salty, spicy, maybe. I'm the same way. I would take olives over a chocolate bar most days. Oh, definitely. <laughs> olives, yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, uh, because we've all been staying at home for so long, I think most of us are dreaming of traveling somewhere. Um, mm. Where is the first place you would travel uh, when we're able to? Well, my family all live in Mallorca in Spain and I haven't seen them in so long and it's, it's heartbreaking. We, you know, we try and keep in touch, but I just, I've, I, it's really sad because I, I didn't see them even the year before lockdown because we were all planning to get together the year of lockdown. So it's just been a really long time. So as soon as we're able, I just want to go and visit them in Mallorca. And I love, I love the Mallorcan food and diet and the beaches and the way of life there so it's it's um it it, yeah it fills a lot of um 
a lot of uh, it ticks a lot of boxes for me, I guess. Amazing. Amelia, thank you so much for joining us. Um, the UK West Coast time zone is not an easy one to navigate, so I really appreciate. <laughs> um, I have been your forever fan for so many years, so I'm so excited to share your work with everyone on the All Sorts podcast. And yes, thank you for your time and your kindness and your grace and for all that you do. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. And likewise, I'm a fan back. I love what you do. I have so much respect. And the way that you uh, you you find, you always find words to explain the most complicated and difficult of uh, aspects of our, of our work. So um, yeah, huge congratulations on all you're doing. And I can't wait to listen to the podcast. Oh, isn't Amelia just the best? Thank you for joining us for this very first episode of the All Sorts Podcast. I have been thinking about this day, honestly, for years, and I am so glad that I'm finally here to share this with you. We have 15 episodes coming for season one, so join me every Monday for another fresh episode. And if you want to make sure you don't miss a single conversation, hit the subscribe button or subscribe to my weekly newsletter. The link is in the show notes along with all the links you need to connect with Amelia and her wonderful new nutrition course. Of course, if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It takes just a minute, but it makes a huge difference to all the algorithms running the internet. So they know the All Sorts podcast is a keeper. Thanks friends, and see you next week wherever you enjoy your podcasts.